Just a couple quick announcements as we are uh, finishing up our collection. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, we've got a, a number of books. I think there's some of the red ones over here, just some resources for you and your family uh, for the Christmas holidays. The blue ones are more of a devotional book. Uh, the red ones are a little bit more of an evangelistic resource uh, provided by our church uh, for you for the holiday season. So um, we, we're, we don't have any intention to keep these books around. So at the end of the service, if, you have, if you've already gotten one and you want to pick up a copy of the other one, uh, you can do that. We want to make sure that we're giving you resources that you can use. Also, uh, LifeWay's put out a little um, kids' family advent guide. There's all kinds of fun little, uh, for those of you that are parents, all kinds of fun little uh, activities uh, dealing with some of the very same themes that we're going to be dealing with. And so those are at both ends of the stage, and there's some of them in the back as well. One other thing that's in your bulletin that I don't think we announced is um, we're passing out a copy of, of the 2019 budget. Um, we will vote on that next week. Wednesday night during our regular uh, Bible study hour, we'll have discussion related to that. So if you have some questions about the budget that you would like to get taken care of, um, you can get those questions answered. You can contact the Finance Committee, and uh, we will have a vote with no discussion next week. Well... It's after Thanksgiving, which means it's now okay for you to set up your Christmas decorations, right? Not, anybody set up before the holiday, before Thanksgiving? Ed, we're going to pray for you, man. You know? Listen, they started the Christmas music, I think, in early October, so it seems to be getting earlier and earlier every year, but very much appreciate the people who decorated our sanctuary. It looks great. Our fellowship hall looks awesome, and um, there's just this time of the year where you start to get into a little bit of the, the holiday holiday spirit. And we're talking this morning about the theme of joy. Um, joy, that's a very important thing because as we'll see this morning, um, Jesus didn't come just to save your soul, to take you to heaven. He came to give you joy. And let me, let me tell you, I just think, I wish that this was more uncommon. And maybe I'm weird, which is entirely possible if you ask my kids. Um, Maybe I'm weird, but I'll ask the question, have you ever, in your life, ever stumbled upon a joyless Christian? Let me tell you, it shouldn't be that way. It really shouldn't. Now, that doesn't mean that we put on a happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, kind of face related to the seriousness of some of the circumstances that we feel uh, we, we go through and that we experience. We are supposed to have joy. So my prayer this morning is that that message will really resonate with you. Not that you'll just, you know, your, the membranes in your ears will vibrate and you'll hear the words. But that it really resonates in your soul because this is part and parcel of the package that Jesus gives. Wrapped up in the gift that Jesus is for Christians are all kinds of, of, of many little gifts that are wonderful. And so when we talk about joy, it's hard to... Hard to talk about it without going to kind of the quintessential Christmas story that's found in Luke chapter 2, uh, really concentrated in verses 8 through 20. We're not going to talk about all of them, but I want you to, I want you to catch the, the gist of the story as it's told. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, it says, in that same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. So uh, for some of you, this is a really hard profession to identify with. I mean, number one, it's uh, very much manual labor. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, if Mike Rowe was here, he would say it's a dirty job. 
Um, and it, it requires you being out in the field. It's not in an office. It's not a white collar job. And shepherds did not have a good reputation. But they're out in the fields at night. Now, that's enough. Cue the haunted house music, you know, out, out in the woods at night, out in the field at night. This is before 24-hour Walmarts and uh, different things of that sort. They are working through the night, guarding these sheep against predators. And so they are watchful. I don't know who came up with the idea that um, the shepherds were kind of sleepyheads and maybe a little drowsy. That was the disciples, not the, not the shepherds. The disciples were the drowsy ones. The shepherds were vigilant because there were wolves and there were lions and tigers and bears. And uh, they had to be vigilant to guard the flock at night. So they were not lazy. They were, they were watchmen. They were um, paying attention. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the, Lear, of the Lord suddenly appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, it's interesting here because it says, um, the language here is singular, an angel of the Lord, a singular angel of the Lord, but then it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. So you go from singular, angel of the Lord, to the glory of the Lord shone around them. Who's the them that the glory shone around? It's the shepherds. Every nativity scene gets it wrong. You know, they, they want to throw this explosion of color up in the sky around the angels, and that's certainly true when they get to the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. But right now, these shepherds are surrounded by this glory of God that is manifested by this angel who is not God, merely his representative. And, and his representative is so glorious that it surrounds the shepherds with this incredible, incredible glory. It's interesting that the angel has to say to them, hey, listen, um, chill. Fear not. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He says here, I've got a message for you. And it's a message not of fear, but of the exact opposite emotion. Not fear, but of joy and a joy that shall be for all people. Here's the thing that's really um, fascinating to think about. Um, there, I don't know that there are more, I don't know that there is a holiday that has been more detached from its historical moorings than Christmas. If you pay attention to what Macy's or, or um, Belk or um, Target or Walmart or um, anything wants you to pay attention to when it comes to advertising, it has precious little to do with uh, who Jesus is. And um, that's a problem. And yet it says that regardless of whether you are a person of faith, that this message, this good news of great joy is for who? All people. Not just the people who choose to follow Christ. It's a message of good news for all people. Here, here's the thing that's amazing is there is some benefit. The incarnation of Christ is of some benefit to all people, whether they recognize Him or whether they don't. And so it says, hey, here's this good news of great joy, and it's a surprising message. I love it. And um, uh, the, the word that is used for the appearance of the angel in Greek is the word for surprise attack. So um, you ever, you ever, you married to someone who startles easily? If it is, that is a wonderful gift that God has given you. 
because I can scare my wife without even trying to scare my wife. I can be standing over here quietly adjusting the thermostat, and she comes walking around the corner and goes, oh, oh, you know, and I didn't even go, boo. And so um, I love it because, like, and the thing that makes me mad is sometimes the harder I try, there's no correlation between my effort and the depth of her scare. Sometimes when I'm not trying to be scary at all, I completely scare her to death, and I don't understand how that is. I'm, it's kind of a, the rewards don't work the way that they need to. Um, I, need to I need to get more for my effort out of this. The point that we're making here <clears throat> is that before, uh, before the shepherds even get the opportunity to, to meet the Lord, uh, the message is one of joy. And we see repeatedly throughout the Scriptures, uh, we, we have to note that where Jesus is, there is joy. And, and, and when it says that it's good news of great joy for all people, it says that there's, there, is, there should be joy, there should be benefit for everyone, regardless of whether they're followers of Him or not. It makes us raise the question, whoever all those people are, we're a part of it. And of all those people, if there's anyone that should know the joy of the Lord, it should be believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we have the least opportunity to be grumpy gusses. And, and I know some of you think that that's a spiritual gift. Listen, this Christmas, if you think being a grump is a spiritual gift, keep the receipt and take it back to the store. That is not a gift that God gives. That, that's that's the, the fruit of the flesh, not the fruit of the Spirit. Where Jesus is, there is joy. And friends, that is a message. Wherever you're at, personality-wise, and this doesn't mean like you have a happy face on all the time, that you don't you don't recognize the hard things that happen in life. You just recognize God's goodness in the midst of adversity. You understand His sustaining power. And so just as the angels pronounce joy at the advent of Jesus' incarnation, the salvation that He would bring, friends, our world needs to see the joy of the Lord because the paganism of our world is so pessimistic that if you will for a second allow the Spirit to bear His fruit in your life, your life cannot help but be attractive. There's very little hope in the world. There's very little joy in the world. And yet every, all throughout this passage from the angel's primary announcement, hey guys, good news, great joy, there's a Savior who is born to the very end of the story of the shepherds, verse 20. You see this joy. Uh, So the angel describes how to find the baby. Uh, Verse 20, it says, they, they went... And after they visited, verse 20, and the shepherds returned, meaning they went back to their job. They didn't stay at the stable, they they went back. And they returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. It sounds like the story ends with just as much joy as it began with. Fearful joy, but now a glorifying and rejoicing joy. Let me tell you this. There is no glorifying and praising if there's no joy. That's why some of you, um, when the music is playing, you got to be real still because you're afraid that someone in the church might think you have joy. You know, I I had the opportunity to uh, officiate um, weddings, funerals, uh, events for people who are not from my culture, not from my ethnicity. Now listen, this may come as a shock to you. People of different ethnicities have different sensibilities with how they express joy in worship. And so we were at an African-American funeral, and um, one of my daughters, who will remain safely anonymous, 
<clears throat> sat in the back over here, over by Scythe. And uh, as I was preaching, people from the congregation felt the freedom to talk back to me. I was well prepared for that and rather kind of enjoyed it. It, it was, um, let's just say it was a substantial change of pace from what I'm normally used to. I see her back there going, you know, she's, she's sitting down and I can't quite see her head over everybody else. And then I get a, a glory. I see her head go. And then someone's a preacher, brother. And she goes, Dad, why were those people being so rude while you were preaching? You're supposed to be talking, not them. And I, I love it because, uh, listen, this is not... This is not in our politically correct, try to make everything blend into one thing and make everything the same. Listen, God made us different. And it doesn't matter what your shade of skin is, some of it's your personality. Uh, some of you would drop over dead if you ever did anything in worship. Like, but here, here's what I know, because I know you. For some of you, glorifying and praising God could be this. And you do that because like, you can do that, and I might be the only one who knows. And I might not even notice because it's very subtle. Some of you smile as you listen to God's word proclaimed. The issue is not to force a uniformity of outward expression. But friends, listen. Joy is a non-negotiable. I would go as far to say, and listen, I'm not supposed to say something like this when you're talking about a Christmas sermon. But if you don't have joy... There could be some really terrible, and I don't know your circumstance, okay? So please, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a general application. I'm not speaking to you specifically. But if you perpetually don't know joy, you don't know the Lord. Is that hard to say? It's tough. Some of you are introverts. Some of you are extroverts. But I want you to notice that everyone who meets Jesus is filled with joy. Don't just listen to Luke's advice in, in, in Luke chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2. You have these guys that have traveled. I mean, we don't know what kind of expenses they have made for a cross-country trip. And they're following the star. And, and, and all of a sudden, the star disappears. It gets them to Jerusalem where they have to inquire. And they go to King Herod, these wise men. And then they, they figure out from some prophecies exactly where they need to go. And then Matthew chapter 2, verse 10 says this, when they saw the star. Listen to how it says this, okay? Nobody talks like this. So that's why you know this is like the Bible. Nobody talks like this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I don't know. There, there, there are not words in the English language to express the emotional state that these people are expressing because they're getting close. I don't know if you've ever done a... Um, a family trip where you drive and it's going to be a long drive and five minutes away from the house, the kids start asking, do you know what it is? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No one can talk the rest of vacation. We'll tell you when we get there. The car will stop moving. Get earphones or watch a movie. Don't ask me again. And yet for everyone, for the kids, for parents, for grandparents, when you finally get to your destination, isn't there a sense that now vacation can begin? I mean, the, the travel is, with our family, the travel is part of the fun. But for some people, the travel is work. 
And vacation doesn't begin till you get to the place where there's new adventures and beautiful things to see and things to experience. And yet when they are in the journey and getting close, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly. Um, If you're Baptist, you probably don't know what that means. They rejoiced exceedingly. And in case you didn't get it, how did they rejoice exceedingly? With great joy. I don't even know what is modifying what in this sentence. It's just making the point that where Jesus is, there is joy. And in other churches, that would receive a hearty amen. I'll settle for a head nod. Joy is part of our calling. Listen to this. Just a couple passages that, that don't just establish that where Jesus is, there is joy. There's an obligation we have because how, how bad must God be for you not to look like you like him? I mean, like, how much lemon juice did you suck on this morning before you worshiped him? So Psalm 511 says this, Indeed, uh, all who take refuge in him, all who take refuge in him, rejoice. Is God your strong tower? When it seems like the rest of the world is shaking worse than a 7.0 earthquake in Alaska, you know God is your strong place. He's your fortress. He's your stronghold. And says, oh, don't keep it to yourself. Rejoice. All who take refuge in Him rejoice. So let's flip that around. If you don't rejoice, maybe He's not your stronghold. Maybe that's why you're so devastated by your circumstances, because your circumstances are your God, not God. So, whoa, is me. Everything's terrible. Not, not to make light of adversity. And Paul says we're persecuted, but we're not destroyed. I have hope because I trust in God. Psalm chapter 33, verse 1 commands us to, what's it say? Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Now, just to be clear, there is no one righteous apart from our faith in Christ that gives us Christ's righteousness. That makes us righteous, not because we're righteous in ourselves, but anyone who is in a saving relationship with God, you righteous ones, shout for joy in the Lord. Why? Because praise befits the upright. It says that praise is a custom-designed suit that is made not for everyone in general, but for you specific. And praise is the right clothing for a person who has been made righteous by their faith in Christ. Praise, shouting for joy, is the right outfit for someone who has been saved. There's nothing wrong with rejoicing, having joy in the Lord, because that's how you know Jesus is around. He can turn that frown upside down. He can can give you courage in the face of difficult circumstances. He can give you hope where, and we all say this, when people go through difficult times or you go through difficult times, you go, I don't know how people get through it without Jesus. Don't know how. Well, listen, you were just freaking out yesterday too. So you didn't get through it with Jesus. Now that everything has calmed down and your circumstances have changed, oh, you're real pious now. Where's your piety when, when, when the bottom is dropping out? We're going to talk about that later, how joy, joy prepares you for suffering in a way that nothing else can. Number two, joy is not just a set of circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. 
but a perpetual gift that he gives to his disciples. Listen, here's what's great. Joy is not just something to talk about at Christmas time. It is a perpetual gift. Now, <laughs> my dad had a best friend who was a little bit of a practical joker. And uh, man, I shouldn't tell this because now I can't do it to anyone. Um, every Easter, he would leave some kind of live animal on our doorstep on Easter morning when we were wee little, like chickens, baby chickens, which are really cute when they're little. And if they're a rooster, hold on. Um, parakeets, little cute little fluffy bunny rabbits. And, and, like, and of course, when you're five or six and you go out to the doorstep, you know, like my dad would race me to the door on Easter morning because he knew that Fred had left a live animal on our doorstep and he wanted to get there before my sister and I did because we'd be like, oh, it's okay, can we keep him, can we keep him, can we keep him, can we keep him? And he knew if he didn't get there first and hide it or dispose of it, <laughs> that it was going to be, at least for a short time, the gift that kept on giving, okay? Now, like hamsters, they're the gift that keeps on giving for like six months. They just don't have a big, long life expectancy. So when we talk about perpetual gifts, that's kind of hard for us to think of. You know what the, the closest thing to a perpetual gift is? Family. Kids, mom and dad didn't have to have you. And you know what? While you might not make them, you might not thrill their heart every moment of every day, they love you and they are committed to you. Husbands and wives, listen. Marriage, marriage can teach you a whole lot about yourselves. You can find a whole lot about the person you married too um, over those years. But is there anything that expresses um, perpetuity in human life beyond the marriage relationship? Done God's way. No, listen, that is a gift that keeps on giving and keeps on receiving. That's why it's supposed to work. There's supposed to be this perpetuity to it. But I want you to hear two verses, two verses that demonstrate that joy is not a temporary, one-time, historical issue. It's an everyday experience. John chapter 15, verse 11. Listen to what Jesus says. These are Jesus's words. He says, these things I have spoken to you. He's in the middle of a long sermon. He's saying, I'm preaching to you that my, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Is there anyone who's brave enough in church on a Sunday morning to say, all right, whatever is your joy container, I don't have a container up here, whatever is your joy container that you brought with you to worship today, it's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. I don't know how big yours is. Some of you have a bigger container, some of you is small. Anybody's joy container less than full? I said he came that we could have fullness of joy, that he came, he came because he wanted, to, he wanted his joy to be in us and he wanted our joy to be full. Some of us think if there's just enough to cover the bottom of the cup, well, that's the best that God can do. Minim, your voice, minimal blessings. Praise God from whom all blessings flow, all two of them. Is that how God rations out his blessings? He says he wants you to have full, full blessings. Now here's a question. If you're Eeyore and you see the two blessings that you can see, is, is that all the blessings that God has given you? Oh, he's given you a ton. He's given you a ton. 
just whatever is going on in your life, you're just too preoccupied to notice it. And so when we talk about joy, there has to be a measure of gratitude for us to understand what's God, what, what, what is going on with God. And I think it's a sin. I think it's a sin for us to not have our joyful. So on that issue alone, fullness of joy, are you a, a 50% sinner? Is your, your cup 75% full? Because like, here's the deal. Some of you that are 75% full, you're like, oh, whew, I'm a whole lot better than the 50% full people. And then you 50% full people, you, you're going to be like, oh, I'm a whole lot better than those 25% full people. Listen, if it's a sin, stop, stop comparing your experience of joy to someone else's because there's always somebody worse than you. And if, if lack of joyfulness is a sin, I don't think that there's anyone here that doesn't need to repent this morning. I get paid to have joy. I work at a church. Some of you are really easy. Uh, some people in church, like they, they like the idea of stealing joy. Don't ever be that person. Don't be that person. Father, we, we, we even right now, just voice our repentance to you. You are a marvelous, wonderful, gift-giving God. And um, Father, I just pray that you expand our minds, that you open our eyes, whatever needs to happen for us to understand what a good and gift-giving God you are. We need to have joy. And to the extent that we don't, we have robbed you of a glory that you rightly deserve. You are the most glorious thing of which our minds can conceive. Father, please forgive us in ways where we have not lived up to that legacy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 10.10, Jesus says this, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Guys, it's the same issue. Joy is a perpetual gift that he wants his disciples to not just unwrap once and for all, but every day. Every day, and it's a choice. <clears throat> Here's the challenge, third point. Many Christians, uh, for many Christians, joy is severely misunderstood. Now, you sit there and go, joy is misunderstood? Well, yes, and this is something of a historical development. I think if you would have asked Christians 100 years ago, how do you define joy? Everyone would have had an answer. I mean, you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher to answer this one. What is joy? Here's what happens nowadays, and um, it's odd. If you ask a Christian, what is joy? They try to distinguish it from happiness. So you say, what is joy? Oh, well, it's, it's not happiness. This is happiness. Happiness is what the world has. Joy is what the Christian has. Okay, I can buy that on one level, but answer me one question. What does unhappy joy look like? Do you want to be unhappily joyful? When the Bible uses the terms happiness and joy, it uses them synonymously. And here's what I think has happened. I think we have seen people, and ultimately it's never good to build your argument from what non-Christians do, from what non-Christians enjoy. But we see people who spend their whole life pursuing things that can never fully give them happiness. And in the moment, they say that they're happy, but we know that they shouldn't be. And so in distinction from that, we want to say, there's a wall here, that's happiness, and joy has to be something different and spiritual. 
that's not the case. The Bible's using the words synonymously. And I think because we've seen carnal happiness, we've tried to establish a not spiritual happiness, spiritual joy. And yet the best definition that I think we could have for joy is that joy is true happiness, true happiness connected to some kind of spiritual good. So to eradicate this distinction between happiness and joy, I want you to watch this video and I want you to ask yourself a question. Are they, are they happy? Are they joyful? All right, what do you think? Are they happy? Are they joyful? Oh, listen, happiness, happiness may be different than joy, but they're part of the same family. And it's better, instead of dividing a wall between these two concepts, to understand them as a continuum. Happiness can be less mature and have a less worthy subject, but it's still happiness. And joy is a happiness that is deeper and more mature and is built upon a foundation that is unassailable and not temporary. It's only partially right to say that the world has happiness while the Christian has joy. It's an interesting thing when you think about the logical relationship, because we don't typically think logically. But all joyful people are happy people, but not all happy people are joyful people. You find someone who's truly joyful, those are really good people to be around. They give life. People that are merely happy may be life suckers. They may suck the life out of you. And so there's, there's a distinction between happiness and joy, but they, they, they exist on the same continuum in the same way that a puppy is distinct from a dog. One is just more mature and hasn't really fully grown up. So a couple ways that we can distinguish between happiness and joy. Happiness can be more external. Hey, I got, a, I got, I got something. Where joy is more internal. Whether I get something or not, I can still have joy. Happiness can be more material, related to a thing or to an experience, where joy is more spiritual. It's, it's rooted in a relationship with God and understanding His blessings in all kinds of external situations and material situations. Paul says, I've had plenty, I've had nothing, I'm okay with both. Happiness can be more temporary, where joy is more permanent. Happiness um, can be faked. People fake happiness all the time. It's called Facebook. Um, joy, if someone has it, do you have any, you have any doubt when someone has joy? No, it's the real deal, man. It's authentic. Happiness is frequently a fruit of circumstance, but joy, oh, joy is different. It's a fruit of the Spirit. One of the challenges with joy is that joy can be lost when we substitute works for grace. We all get tired. Man, God's given us everything. Man, I want to be recognized for my own contributions. And we try to impress ourselves. We try to impress others. We try to impress God. And the problem is anytime we result, uh, kind of lapse back into works over grace, if we're doing something not based out of love for and gratitude to God, it doesn't count. Here's what's amazing. We have, we have people that delight in changing diapers. They do it every Sunday in our nursery. Now, I don't know that they necessarily enjoy changing diapers. That would be really kind of perverse, you know, like, hey, got a stinker this morning, you know? You know, hey, I got a Christmas gift for you in my diaper, you know? No, 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 nothing like that. But they enjoy serving God's people so that maybe there's a visitor this morning who doesn't have to worry about their kid and can come in 
and, and worship and listen to God's word without distraction. Because maybe their, maybe their kid wouldn't be able to handle the worship service. And people do this because there are no brownie points for working in the nursery. They do it because they love the Lord and they love His people. And any form of service that becomes a duty becomes so because you've lost the joy of your salvation. You're now looking at this as a drudgery instead of something that you get to do for God. When we go back to works, when we go back to law, we forget that law's purpose is to expose sin, not cure it. Jesus is the only one that cures sin. And it's odd to me that when we reject works, when we reject law as the basis for how we begin a relationship with Christ, why would we then make it the basis for how we continue? We need grace, not just in how we start. We need grace in how we walk every day. And so it's not just how you start, it's how you continue. It's grace. It's grace. And people who focus on grace have greater joy. The opportunity to be a Christian is not just about making a decision, having a change of opinion, or adopting a new lifestyle. That's not it at all. The commitment to being a Christian is about death and resurrection, and I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about you. When you come to Christ, the gospel is die, be resurrected. And you go, all right, I think I know something about Jesus' death and resurrection. If I would have died, I think I would have remembered that. Oh, I hope you do. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, so I've died, I've been resurrected with Christ, and I'm now alive in the flesh, but the life that I live in the flesh, I live by works. I live by law. No, I live by faith in the Son of God and listen to the motivation. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember the story of how you came to Christ and you'll find your joy revived. Fifth and finally, we should pursue joy because it is a seed that produces many fruits. Guys, listen, here's what I'm telling you. Wherever joy is in your life, if it's running just 50 yards ahead of you, tie your shoes, okay? Get your sneakers on. You need to chase this. You don't just need to assume that it's always going to be out of your reach. You need to, you need to reach for it. It's worth your effort, and it's worth your effort because it brings all kinds of awesome things with it. How many of you, when you sit down for Thanksgiving, are hoping that nobody shows up. I mean, like, you want your kids gone? You want your spouse gone? I'm going to have me a TV dinner on Thanksgiving Day. And I'm going to do it again? I'm going to do it again on Christmas. No, we want fellowship. And here's what's great about pursuing joy, is joy brings all kinds of friends to the table with it. The first one is gratitude. It's gratitude. Joy finds its source in gratitude. If you're not grateful, you're not joyful. So if you want to cultivate joy, here's a really practical step. Be thankful. Can you find one thing to be thankful for today? Listen, some of you, it's not one thing. Maybe it's a hundred things. Whatever your list is, find more. Be grateful. Because when you are a Christian, the opportunity to exercise this gift of gratitude is all around you. Already this day, you probably have hundreds of things that you could be grateful for, and you have not been. Which is why this next sermon illustration video is important for you to see.
Oh, do you know how obnoxious you would be if you were that grateful? But isn't that the, great, the greatest kind of obnoxiousness to be? How many things have you taken for granted today? Oh, my goodness. I think we'd all be embarrassed if we counted them. And so, you know, listen, I got a belt. I got pants. I got socks, and these pairs don't have any holes in them. You know, I mean, you can start going down the list. You know, we've got, it, it feels like, a, it's so overcast, feels like an evening service, but we're gathered for worship. And go, you know what, it's not just me here. Everybody's here, too. It's just a wonderful thing. Joy finds its source in gratitude. Gratitude, however, requires humility. If you're going to be grateful, you need to be humble. Because if you're the kind of person that thinks you deserve everything better, you're never going to be grateful for what you have. It's a terrible thing. But if you're not humble and so grateful to receive what you've got, there are some people that open their presents on Christmas morning and they're already spending the money from the return because they're not going to keep it. Why'd Lene get me this? She knows I don't like this. And it doesn't matter that Lene spent three hours looking for it. It's going back, you know. I'm going to get something useful, something that I want, instead of actually enjoying and appreciating the sacrifice that goes into gift giving. Humility, on the other hand, so joy finds its source in gratitude. Gratitude requires humility. Humility inspires two, two traits that, these are, this, these are in English, these words are in English, they just they may sound like a foreign language. Meekness and contentedness. Uh, let me encourage you, you will not find contentedness at Walmart or Amazon. That's why they exist, because you're not content. And so what is meekness? Meekness, I love this definition. Meekness, listen, is the ability to respond to troubles and unexpected events with serenity and a composure that expresses deep faith and trust in God. You know what meekness is? Coolness under fire. It says, when there, is, when there are troubles or unexpected events, your emotional state is serenity and composure, and not just because of your personality, but a, a serenity and composure that expresses deep faith and trust in God. Jonathan Edwards is arguably the, the, the most notable preacher in North America, a fantastic uh, preacher, and yet he, he got sideways with his congregation. His congregation desired for him to baptize people who were not believers. And he said, I cannot do that. So in return, in Christian love, uh, his church decided to fire him because they would not do what they asked him to do. Instead, he had the audacity to go with his convictions and what the scriptures taught. And so the week leading up to the public charges and his dismissal, here's what a friend of his said. Of Edwards, I never saw him in the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance the whole week. But he appeared like a man of God, listen to this, whose happiness was out of the reach of his enemies and whose treasure was not only a future but a present good, overbalancing all the, imag all the imaginable ills of life, even to the astonishment of many who could not be at rest without his dismissal. Friends, that's meekness. No matter what happens, because you are held in the hand of God, you're unshakable. A faith in God that can deal with adversity. You trust God with your circumstances. But it's not just meekness, it's contentedness. Contentedness is the opposite of covetousness. covetousness. Uh, keeping up with the Jones. They got a new car, I want a new car. They got a satellite, I want a satellite. They got a hot tub, I want a hot tub. They got this, I want this. That's covetousness. Contentedness, contentedness is the opposite. If meekness is being okay with God in your circumstances, 
Contentedness is peace with God, with stuff. So whether it's circumstances or whether it's things, there is meekness and contentedness. The truth is when we know that God is good and that He is for us and that He is for our most ultimate good, we can have joy regardless of the circumstances that we find in life. Not only that, but think about how full your table gets when you invite joy and joy invites all of our friends. You get things like gratitude and humility and meekness and contentedness. And listen, let me just say, I don't know that they live in my neighborhood. I don't know that they're in my zip code. I don't know that these guys actually live and reside in Rock Hill. They're so rare. But when you pursue joy, you get all of these things as well. Think about how full your table of fellowship can be. And it's at this point when we understand that one of the most, pre- the, the most precious gift that God gives us is His Son. And yet Jesus says that His gift is not just His, his death for our life, but He came that our joy might be full. It's now that we begin to understand what the Bible says in Nehemiah 8.10, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. It makes us strong. And to the degree that we're not joyful, we're weak. We got spaghetti arms. We think that we're so sovereign, we're ready to box with God. And yet if we don't have the joy of the Lord, we're missing strength that God has designed, for, designed to be a part of our everyday existence. Psalm 68.3 says, The righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God and they shall be jubilant with joy. Not may, not might, they shall. So this holiday season, as we think about the gifts that we put under the tree, and we pause for a moment to think about the gifts that God has given. Have you unwrapped his gift of joy? It's found in Jesus. This holiday season, we love him. And the best way for us to show our gratitude for the gifts that he has given is to allow the joy of the Lord to be a reality in our lives. Pray with me, please. Father, we, we have repented of our lack of joy. Father, help us to have bigger eyes to see all of the many ways that you're around us. We want gratitude, and, and Father, we need to be made humble. We, we desperately, whether we realize it or not, need to be more meek. We need to be content. So I pray that as we enter into this holiday season, as we are consumed by the hustle and bustle, may we know your joy. May we strip back all of the things that distract us. And may we in our heart, in our character, in our disposition, not say that we're Christians, but prove it how we live. And may we bring you great glory this holiday season. In Jesus' name. Amen.